Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Dustin Box. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. Okay, do you know what's not in sourdough? Oh, hold on. You know what we also do out of sourdough, you guys? Cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls have come back into my life, you guys. Oh. And lately we've been doing tortillas. We make our own sourdough tortillas. It's incredible. I mean, like absolutely amazing, okay? I'm just saying. You know what's not in sourdough? Yeast, right? The fermenting process makes it rise and do all the stuff that like in traditional bread, yeast does. How many of you guys have made like bread with yeast or like dough or, you know, pizza dough maybe or something? When I was a kid, I was like 10, 11 years old. My mom, shout out to my parents who are also probably watching. Thanks, mom. You taught us how to cook and so. And iron, she like this summer, she's like, I'm not gonna have two boys that don't know how to do their own laundry and take care of themselves when they move out of the house. So listen, fellas out there, if you don't know how to iron a dress shirt, just come talk to me. I can walk you through the steps. It's very easy. Just, there's a methodical process. You just need to follow through and uh, it works really well. Just saying. It was very domesticated. But that summer as well, we learned how to bake and so we used to make cinnamon rolls and sell them and uh, that summer, I think we made close to ten or 11,000 shillings selling cinnamon rolls. That's 50 shillings to the dollar. So you do the math, the exchange rate at the time. And uh, yeah, we, we would sell out. We would like tell people we were gonna make them over the weekend. And then we would sell out and then do deliveries on Sunday or Monday to staff, people in the church, the US embassy, places like that. And it was amazing. It took all day. Me and my brother would do it all day. We'd get up, we'd choose what movies we were gonna watch. Then we'd make the dough. And we let the dough rise and we'd watch a movie, right? Because it takes a while, an hour or so. And then, and then we'd push pause. We'd go back into the kitchen, roll it out. Mm, butter, again. Brown sugar, some cinnamon. You make this like really just amazing filling. Spread it out across it. Roll it up, slice it, put it in the dishes. And then we'd, you'd have to let it sit and rise again. Again, it's crazy. And then after that, we'd watch you know, another, you know, the rest of the movie, start another one, put it in the oven, and then we'd bake. And you'd, you, if you timed it right, you could do like three or four different batches, and they would just like stagger the rising times and the baking times, you know? S- strategy, guys. We did well that summer. Um, but it's interesting the way yeast works. You put a very, very small amount in your dough. And when it's sitting there, it's working its way through the entire lump of dough, right? It eats the sugars and stuff in it, and it, it, as it sort of does that, it releases gases, which makes it all airy and fluffy and wonderful. But there's a certain point where you can't tell the difference of what was yeast and what was dough. It completely infects and invades and transforms and takes over that lump of dough. What was Unleavened bread or, or dough without yeast becomes fully leavened in just a short period of time, literally not doing anything. You just put the leaven in it, you just put the yeast in it, and it does its own thing, right? So Jesus addresses, in the Gospels, he addresses primarily three different types of leaven. And it's important to recognize why he's calling it leaven because of the way yeast, the way leaven works its way through dough. It's the same way these three things can work their way through your thinking and you're not even aware of it. 
it will begin to take over and transform the way that you see the world, the way that you address problems, the way that you engage with the community around you, the way that you worship, you come in on Sundays, the way that you approach problems, the way that you look at relationships. Because it, it, it so invades and transforms and takes over your thought life and your process that like it shapes the entire way that you view the world around you and engage with, with the world or the community around you. This morning, I want to look at these three different things. Is that okay? All right, the first one, just to kind of set the stage so we understand, because we're going to keep coming back to this, is, is in Luke chapter 13. It's so funny. There's like these passages where Jesus sort of just like drops this bomb and then moves on. And you're like, wait, <laughs> talk more about it. Like, what do you, like, you just said this one little thing and then moved on. And this is a verse like that. It's verses 20 and 21 of Luke 13. And again, he said, to what shall I like in the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And then he just goes on with other stuff. <laughs> like he just says that and then continues teaching about other stuff. The idea is that you need to understand that the kingdom of heaven, the principles of the kingdom of heaven, the, 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 the process, the gospel of Jesus Christ is like leaven if you allow it to do its work. It's meant to come into your life and then as it sits there in your spirit, in your mind, it begins to create transformation as it breaks down things that set themselves up against the kingdom of heaven, right? The leaven eating the sugars and it creates transformation in the bread. It's the same way as the kingdom of heaven, the leaven of the kingdom is meant to go into your mind, into your heart and break these things down and it creates transformation and over a period of time, it's unrecognizable from what it was. The, the kingdom of heaven, the, the mindsets, the ideas, the, the philosophy, the, the way of approaching life is indistinguishable from your own life. That your life begins to look like the kingdom of heaven in all of its ways. That's the standard, <laughs> right? That's kind of an intense standard, I think. But it's necessary. And it's, it's what's amazing is does bread do anything to let that happen? No. It's a, the fruit of allowing the Holy Spirit to step into your life and, and plant his seeds, right? The, the experience of the kingdom is meant to produce that change in your life. Okay. So we got to look at some other leaven. Is that all right? We'll keep coming back to that as we, as we talk this morning. All right. So in Mark, uh, let me just scroll down here. In Mark, where is, where is it at? Mark chapter 8, verses 13 through 21. I want to read this verse, and then we'll sort of go back up and sort of talk about it. Is that okay? You guys good? Okay. Listen, I just want you to know this is the Bible. This isn't my opinions. Lord, help me. Um, <laughs> It's going to be good this morning. Oh, man. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 13. It says this. This is right after he fed 4,000. Okay, so he, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's one we always use, but he actually does it twice. He feeds the 5,000, which is closer on 15,000 people. And then shortly after, he feeds 4,000, which would have been around 12,000 or so people, if you count women and children, the whole crowd, right? In there. This is right after that. And so it says, and he left them getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Man, man, oh man. Ah, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat between 13 men. That's not very much. Especially if it was like my wife's sourdough. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you, you don't share that. You know what I'm saying? Mm. 
It's a fight when it comes out the oven between me and Adelie who gets the butts because when it's fresh out of the oven, the crispy edge and then the butter melting into it, it's like, oh man. Me and Adelie, we go to war over those right there. She's like, I want the butt. I want the butt. And it's like, all right. He charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Now we're gonna come back to that last portion, but we're gonna, we're gonna go back. Jesus is getting ready to teach about the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees and the, the disciples panic and they're like, Jesus is being passive aggressive. <laughs> he knows that we didn't bring bread and so he's hinting at what's going on. I mean, obviously they didn't think he's, it just sounds passive aggressive to think that you would like, <laughs> you would address like, yeah, I know you didn't have bread. Take heed to the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You know, let me guilt you into remembering that you're supposed to bring bread on these trips. And that's kind of what the disciples are thinking. And, and uh, so they panic. And then Jesus has to divert and actually teach about what's going on. And we're going to look at that, that last section in, in, in a second. The leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees is this. You can think about it this way, the political spirit and the religious spirit. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So we're going to look at those this morning. Is that Okay. All right, so, so the religious spirit, let's look at this first. The religious spirit is interesting because what it does is it convinces you that you will create a heart transformation through following a list of religious rules. See, what you, Paul writes it this way in another passage. He says, what you, I think it's in Galatians. He says, I think it's foolish Galatians. Why would you try to keep through the law what you have attained through the spirit? You came to Jesus, experienced heart transformation, and now you have exchanged the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of a religion which is not a gospel at all. It's not good news in any way because it produces death. You've exchanged those two. It's, it's, it's not recognizing that you, you've come to Jesus, you've experienced freedom, you've experienced transformation, you've been born again, your heart is, is completely transformed. You're, oh my goodness, the goodness of God. And then you begin to step into situations and attempt through religious systems to produce what you just got at the foot of the cross. And the reason why he, he talks about it as leaven is because if you're not careful, the religious spirit works its way into your thinking that you won't even recognize it as a religious spirit. And so you approach a, a situation in front of you and you don't understand that you're not moving in the authority of heaven because you're not actually representing heaven. You're representing a religious spirit. 
We have to, we have to look at the way that these, these, these mindsets actually affect how we view life and approach life because God is looking for people that know how to bring and establish the kingdom of heaven. You are called ambassadors, which means you represent a different kingdom. And you are, he's calling you in to bring and establish the kingdom of heaven. But if you are using a religious system to try to produce results, it won't work. And the presence of God won't rest on something that doesn't look like him. Well, what does that look like? I mean, there's, there's so many examples that you guys could, you could think about. It's, you, you have a problem, you're maybe talking with a friend and they're really going through going through it. Maybe they're, maybe they're struggling with depression. Maybe they're struggling with like uh, bondages in their life and, and, and things that they're like addicted to or, or, or just like conflicts. And you're like, well, did you read your Bible today? Oh, did, did you spend that hour praying? Yeah, that's why. That's why you have bad stuff in your life. Oh, oh, you're, you're dealing with pornography? Yeah, have you, have, you, have you sung your worship, your five worship songs this morning? We have to address it. Because the reality is, is you're actually looking for transformation in a heart, but you're approaching it through rules to legislate a heart condition. And all that produces is people that either straight up rebel or they jump and dance through a bunch of hoops without any heart condition, any heart transformation. Can I read you a verse? Yeah? Are you guys okay? Please stay with me. Don't kill me yet. I got, an, I got more stuff to say. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. This is an intense verse. But know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Where's my kids at? Where you at? <laughs> okay, my poor children. Guys, you just need to say a prayer for my kids. Lord Jesus. Disobedient. There's, you know, there's actually a few verses that connect disobedience to parents to not understanding and having a relationship with God. It's a really, really profound thing, and it's not a forced control thing. It's actual fruit. The capacity to obey parents is a fruit of, of actually a transformed heart condition where you are actually working to, to reflect that in your obedience and in your perspective in life. There's a whole, we can't get into it right now, but I'm just telling you what. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five, having a form of godliness but denying its power. The power of the gospel is transformed lives. The point of this is that people can have a world of problems in their life. They can have all of these conditions and still dance through all the, the religious system. They can dance through all the performance and behaviors of, of the gospel and not actually have its transformative work in their life. That is a religious spirit. You do all of the things. You show up when you're supposed to. You go through all of the disciplines that you're supposed to have in your life. You perform all of the religious rites. You do all of the things and your life is still manifesting conditions that are reflective of a different kingdom. 
and to approach problems with a prescription that says, do this, do this, do this, follow, jump through these hoops, and your heart will be transformed, is to pick up the religious spirit and wear it as a gospel. The reason why I'm so passionate about this stuff is because God has actually called us for cultural transformation. You understand that? He's called us to carry the kingdom of heaven into all of society. We are meant to be leavened in a good way. That we're in the bread and it causes transformation. But if you haven't allowed the work of the cross to do its work in your life, you're gonna be picking up tools and systems that don't produce life. They produce death. Is it, is it that we're okay with sin? No. Is it that we're okay with, with immorality and brokenness and deceit and gossip and slander? Are we okay with those things? No. It's that we are addressing them with leading people to the foot of the cross, that their life encounters Jesus Christ. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Repentance is the transformation of your thinking. You're going one way and you turn and you go a different direction. Why? Because you're in pursuit of the one that you have fallen in love with, Jesus Christ. That he said, while you're still sinners, I died for you. I was able to look past sin. Why? Because I knew the cross would be so thorough in your life that there's not a single sin that could separate you from me. And what happens is, is you experience that and then you lead people to the death of the law instead of to the life found at the foot of the cross saying, look here, I understand you're going through struggles. I understand you're doing this. Child of mine, you know, you're, you're 14. You're going through these problems. Let me tell you, jump through this thing here. You need to get to this prayer meeting. You need to have this thing. You need to do this deal. Instead of, hey, look, let's talk about your heart. Man, when was the last time like you, you spent time pursuing Jesus? How is that pursuit of Jesus reflecting in your lifestyle and your choices? Have you seen his goodness? Have you seen his heart and how he longs for connection with you? That your choices, your sin violates that connection. It puts a a separation between you and the one that chased you down and pursued your heart. You approach marriage with the same issues, with the same perspective. What about business? What about the team that you're leading? You're, you're, you're managing a group of, of employees and, you, and God's called you to bring the kingdom of heaven. It produces transformation. What would that look like? Where you all of a sudden step in and instead of being fixated on behaviors to produce heart conditions, you pursue their hearts. I've been a part of both guys, both in the church and secular work. And there's profound differences Are you guys here? Are you guys okay? Okay. It's not that behaviors aren't a problem. It's that when you try to solve the the root issues with behaviors, you're just cutting fruit off of the tree and the tree is still there. Do you understand? You You are attempting. It's like, so I have a problem on my property right now. I have these vines. I have not experienced this before. Guys, how many of you guys have had vines like in your property, like invading your trees? We actually lost ones that almost took down power lines yesterday during the, during the or Friday during that rain and, and windstorm. Like giant, 
sparks flying everywhere because vines had grown up on these trees and then they couldn't support the weight anymore. You cut those vines down, guess what? They keep coming. They just grow back and they'll grow in other places and they just keep spreading until it takes over everything. That is like trying to address people's hearts with a religious system. Why? Because, because, because the gospel comes to transform your heart that then manifests itself in your lifestyle, in your behaviors, in the way that you approach life. You guys okay? All right, second one, right, is the political spirit. Okay. Oh, let's just take a deep breath. I want to, I'm just going to give, I'm just going to be a little vulnerable with my own personal sort of process a second because I, I, I needed to set a stage for what I, I want to say a couple things and I want to make sure you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying. Is that okay? <laughs> Can I do that? So I grew up as a missionary kid, all right? I grew up in Africa. I was in Kenya for 11 years. So I, we moved there when I was six years old and I moved back to the States when I was 17 after I'd graduated high school and stuff. And um, I, I loved it, loved the way that I grew up. But one of the challenges, one of the unique challenges that I experienced and I faced was like not, not really being Kenyan and not really being American. I was just like always constantly stuck in this middle ground of like, like having Kenyan friends, but then also like, like this conflict inside of me. And I had, I had other missionary friends of mine that were born in Kenya that were like fully Kenyan. You know what I'm saying? And they could talk about it. And I, I just wish, I remember being like, like 10, 11, 12, 13, like in that zone and just wishing that I had been born in Kenya so I could say, I'm Kenyan and like just make the decision because it just felt like I never like had a place to sit. And in that season, I really developed a sort of, um, I have the right word because it wasn't quite hatred, but like disdain is the right word. Thank you, Tim. Dude, he's got my back. A disdain for America and a disdain for being American. Now, it's a struggle because every time you look in the mirror, what do you see? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and so there's like a level of like self-disdaining mm-hmm, that begins to develop and grow. You know, you just see a lot of the negative stuff. You see a lot of the negative media. The only news source we had was CNN. There's just a lot of like narrative around a lot of that stuff. So you're only getting one side of stuff. And when I, was in, when, I, when I was in high school, or uh, I think maybe eighth grade, we did, uh, I had a U.S. history class, and my teacher, Mr. McBride, one day in heaven, we're going to talk. <laughs> because, you know, he, he carried with him this understanding of the, just like the, the history of revival through American history. And it gave me such a profound love of There is negative things about every country, guys. We can admit that. There's not like, do you understand? Like I'm not, this is not a wholesale thing. there There was this profound shift that took place in my heart where I began to understand the positives of what my heritage represented. Okay, and every culture has it. Every culture, I genuinely believe, has like a revelation and sort of an aspect of God's heart manifesting in their culture because we are a reflection of him. He made us in his image. And culture begins to carry on that sort of reflection and image. And there's some uniqueness to American and American history that like helped further the gospel, that helped lead revivals, cultural transformation in positive ways, okay? All right, so through that governments class, 
as a result of that, like I, man, experienced such a heart transformation and, and my love of government, my love of like actually like understanding political systems and its impact on society and all of that stuff. Like I really do. I have very, very uh, intense political opinions now and like mostly conservative. Like I, don't, I don't mind talking politics. We don't do it from the stage because we're gonna talk about why in just a second. As much anyways. But one of the uniqueness, one of the unique things about America compared to all the, I, I was in Thailand for several months as a kid. We, I grew up in Africa. I've been to Tanzania. I've been to like multiple countries in Asia. Like you understand, like, like having traveled and experienced different cultures, there's a uniqueness to our government that is unlike pretty much any other government around. And it's rooted in the fact that every other group of people has had to fight for freedom and the monarchy or the dictator or the person in power granted freedom to the people. Okay? The U.S. Constitution is completely different. The, the people of the United States came together and said, we need a government for protection and for a couple key issues. And they wrote a constitution to limit the power of government to maintain freedom. It actually created a wall between what the government was supposed to be allowed to control in the, the population's life. And the fact that as a human being born in the image of God, that you carry with you specific freedoms that are just innate to being a human being. It's actually one of the roots for why slavery was able to be ended. Like there's like these components that people don't, like there's like these powerful, do you understand that it was a Christian that led the anti-slavery movement? in England, William Wilberforce, and like his children, like a, a preacher. Like you guys, like there's like history that is just so reflective of the kingdom of God. It's awesome, okay? But the constitution actually took on this form that limited government that like was meant to have freedom for the people, okay? So are you guys just, you get, I love this stuff. Like I really, really love it, okay? I believe as Christians, we're meant to engage in politics. I believe that we're meant to vote. We are meant to have an opinion. We are meant to, to, to be a part of that process. Do you understand? But we cannot, we cannot exchange the gospel of the kingdom for the leaven of Herod, for a political spirit. You have to understand that God is calling you to be engaged with every place of society without, without exchanging the message of the gospel with the message of a political party. You cannot take the gospel of Jesus Christ and lay it down and pick up the mandates of a political party. God has called you to represent his kingdom, not the kingdom of the Republicans, not the kingdom of the Democrats, not the kingdom of the Libertarians. He's called you to represent the kingdom of heaven. See, what happens is, is with a political spirit is you begin to try to accomplish the work of the cross through laws and legislation and a punishment-based system that says, I will punish you until you perform to this list of rules. I will punish you. I will, I, will, I will put pain in your life. We just watched Night's Tale the other night. Extreme pain. Pain. 
in your life. It's, I like how nobody really got that reference except for like four people. <laughs> I got like two people laughing over here because they knew what I was talking about. Uh, pain to produce behavior. That is, that is the heart of a political system. I'll write laws. I will create punishment-driven systems to produce a behavior that I want to see. You know what Jesus didn't do? Is that. He invites people to come to him and experience his goodness. He says, go and sin no more. What did he do with the woman caught in adultery? There was a system there for her punishment. And he didn't just wipe it away. He didn't just deal. He just, he, he, he sat there and, and he called attention to the hypocrisy of the people trying to implement that system, right? And then the woman looks at him like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And he's like, listen, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He actually expected heart transformation and behavioral transformation rooted in a place of encounter. Saying that like, I can't scare you enough to get you to behave the way I want you to. What I can do is I can, I can let you experience my goodness, experience the mercy of the cross, and then expect you to live that mercy out in your life. Do you understand that it, with the, even in the old covenant, where was the glory of God intending to rest with Moses? What, what, what was that, guys? Anybody? The mercy seat. Do you understand that God's presence, even in an old covenant, he intended his glory to rest on mercy, not on judgment. That the voice of God, right? The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to encounter God's presence on the mercy seat and from that place speak out what God's words were. From the mercy seat, not from the judgment seat. I think that, you know, if we can just, if we can just recognize what's happened, like, like I, I get tired of talking about it, but like coming out of COVID, coming out of 2020, the political landscape and all of the different stuff that's happened, I really feel like God is actually like, like, like speaking to the heart of the church. It says you have exchanged the heart of the gospel for political talking points. You have attempted to address heart conditions with a religious system or a political system instead of representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead of understanding that God puts you in society to represent the kingdom of heaven. You know, for me personally, there's like this, this process that this came out of where just like, I just was spending time with God and like I came across this verse again and just was like so profoundly like convicted of places in my life where I have I have engaged in a spirit that was not representative of the kingdom of heaven and, and, and allowed sarcasm, political memes, social media, frustrations with stuff going on in society, anger, stuff sometimes coming out of good places, like good values, you know what I'm saying? And I, I was unaware of 11 working its way into my heart and beginning to influence 
the words that came out of my mouth. I mean, it influenced the sort of things that I would get upset about. The sort of ways that I would, I would speak to change and transformation. That I, I, like, you guys understand. Like, can I just say, your, your sarcastic meme is not going to produce heart transformation. It won't. You cannot use a tool of the enemy to produce lasting heart transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation. <laughs> Come on. What are we about, you guys? What are we about? We're meant to be carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're meant, our lives are meant to be a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. I, I, and I, I'm, not, I'm not about the niceness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no niceness. Jesus is kind. He wasn't nice all the time. And so I'm not like, listen, I mean, if you ever sit and have a conversation, I mean, I'll say it how it is at times. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, there, like there is a component that you, uh, can we just say okay? <laughs> That's all I got. All I just want to say about that. I just, I, I really feel, man, God is inviting the body of Christ into a place of repentance. Because what's happened is you've exchanged the authority that is meant to rest on your life and you have picked up a other thing to represent. You guys know that the phrase like praying in the name of Jesus, do you guys know what that means? Do you guys know that in the name of Jesus is not like a magic potion like hocus pocus phrase, you tag on to something to just make your prayer work. You, you understand that? Like, like adding in the name of Jesus to the end of your prayer doesn't make your prayer magically work. <laughs> I understand that like, like in your mind, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But how many of you guys have just prayed prayers and I'm like, oh, in the name of Jesus. And then like you think somehow that makes your prayer work. In the name of Jesus is a posture and a position that he's called you to walk in that represents him. Come in the name, like, like here, 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 he, in the name of the king, blah, blah, blah. Why? That herald is representing an authority and someone else. He's actually representing the edicts of the king. When Jesus says, pray in my name, he's inviting you to represent him in your prayer life. How can you represent him when you're representing a political party? How can you represent him when you're representing a religious spirit? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's actually about you recognizing that he's inviting you to pick up the authority that is meant to rest on your life so you represent the kingdom of heaven. Come, pray in my name. In other words, when you begin to speak that is indistinguishable from the words of heaven. Like your words should be indistinguishable from the words of Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me? Pray in my name. And it will, it will be done. Why? Because it's the, it's, the, it's the fact that you have been called to establish the rulership of heaven. You are his ambassadors. So you need to represent his system. You need to represent his approach, his kingdom. You can't parent from the same system anymore. That just got really quiet. <laughs> you can't parent from a punishment-driven system. It doesn't mean there isn't consequences. It doesn't mean there isn't boundaries. 
It just means you're not trying to produce behavior through fear and punishment and pain in, in people's lives. Whether that's physical pain or emotional pain or, or whatever. That consequences are there. They do the teaching. You get to be a guide and a coach through your child's struggle with dealing with boundaries <laughs> and dealing with consequences to their choices. It's a completely different mindset. It opens up the door to the fact that you don't have to parent from fear and anxiety because you're not intimidated by your child's poor choices just like God's not intimidated by your poor choices. The last time that you kind of lied to your spouse, do you think God was like, oh my gosh, Tim, Tim, do you know? Do you know what you just said? If you lie, you're gonna get extra spanks. Now tell me the truth. Do it. Do it or else. No, he says, he says man, don't you understand? When, when you're not representing truth, you're representing someone else. Man, like truth is about building trust. Man, when, you, when you're not honest with me, you break trust. It, it hurts our connection. I want to stay close to you. Like child, don't you understand that when you speak, I want to believe everything that comes out of your mouth. That's what I want. And when you're not doing that, it, it breaks this connection. Let's fight for it together. <sighs> Completely different interaction with your spouse, with your crew that you work with. I'm about to wrap up, so I, I'm not, I, I did this in first service. I, I don't know where the person is supposed to like do this stuff to wrap it up. I'm so sorry. Kate, again, I'm so sorry. Ooh, can we give a round of applause for Kate? She's amazing. <laughs> Listen, I, I feel like there is like, I understand that for some of us in this room, there's probably like a massive like call in areas of our life. Some of us are like, this is my heart. This is exactly what it is. And I feel like for everyone in the room, there's a place that God is inviting you to recognize where leaven has seeped its way into your thinking. The, the problem with leaven is that you can't really tell where it's at all the time. And so this is where Romans 12, 2 comes in. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. Your life proves the will of God as you submit to the transformation taking place while your mind is being renewed. Do you understand? Your mind is renewed, which results in transformation of your life and your life then begins to prove that perfect will. Like it's evidence of that, of God's will being manifest in your life. And so your mind being renewed is this continual place where you come back to the cross of Jesus and say, man, I repent for these mindsets. Kingdom of heaven, do your work in my life. Jesus, do your work in my heart. Do your work in my mind. Reveal the places where this has like infected my thinking and my behavior and my approach to situations. We have to end, but I, 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 I need to connect this. I'm sorry, I'm completely off my notes right now. The end of this passage in Mark is really important because what Jesus did was he called the disciples to the expectation that you've seen me multiply bread twice in dramatic fashion. You have a responsibility to look at this problem differently. Do you understand? The leaven of the kingdom, the, what was supposed to happen is he they tasted of God's supernatural provision and multiplication. They were faced with a problem and Jesus expected that they would look at the problem differently. 
We only have one bread. That's all right. Jesus just multiplied for 4,000 and for 5,000. Let's just give thanks to God and watch him multiply this bread again. Not out of a place of arrogance, not out of a place of like whatever, but out of truly understanding that he's invited you into a new kingdom. He's invited you into a new place of thinking. You read a testimony, you hear a testimony, and now you're in a situation, there's a requirement on your life that you approach it, look at it differently, that you deal with it differently. You're in here, you see someone get healed, you're in the grocery store and you see someone walking by you on on crutches. There is a requirement on our lives. It says, I can't look at this person the same way anymore. You know, my parents deal with marriages that are like just, I mean, destroyed, like years and years of affairs, multiple affairs. And the stories of reconciliation that they've seen couples walk through puts a demand on my life that when I sit with a couple, I can no longer look at marriages with a, with a lens of hopelessness. I can no longer look at someone's life with a perspective of hopelessness. Why? Because I have this, these stories, these testimonies of lives and marriages being restored and transformed. You understand? I, I, I sit here, I hear the stories of people's lives coming to the cross and, and being completely free of addiction and issues in their life. And someone comes and they say, man, I'm really struggling with this situation. There's, an, there's a thing that says, oh man, I look at your problem completely different now. I look at the situation completely different. You open your cupboards, there's no food in there. Oh, I've heard the story of the Lord, our provider. Man, I heard that story of groceries showing up on someone's door. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we pray right now for your supernatural provision that every need is met, every supply is met. And you have to, you're, you're, there's an actual thing on your life that is, that is required that you walk in and manifest and engage in a new perspective, the leaven of the kingdom. Are you guys tracking with me? That's actually how tra- like society is transformed. Why don't you guys stand with me?